Well, good morning and happy Easter to all of you. Really, really glad that you are here. Man, what a fantastic day. I love how Andy does that. Can we, can we do this little thing? If I say he is risen, you know what to say? He is risen? He is risen indeed. That's right. That is why. Yeah, let's, we can cheer about that. That's like the, the contemporary amen, right? When we applaud. Thank you, band, for leading us in the worship of our king on this great day. Appreciate you all. That's great. Um, you know what? I have to... Uh, uh, make a bit of an apology and kind of come clean. And the reason is because um, I forgot something kind of significant last week, like kind of a big deal actually. Um, I was so excited about the, the Anthem launch and all of that that uh, there was an announcement, it's kind of a big deal that I forgot. So can we take just a second and can I like try and make up for this right now? Is that okay? Um, we, we here at Blue Water, we understand that how do I say this? That, that not all churches have always done a great job of the whole like finance thing, right? So, so it really seems like some churches kind of are after your money. We're here at Blue Water, we're not after your money at all. Um, um, but what we do do is uh, three times a year and just three times a year, um, we say that, hey, if, if you are a part of Blue Water, and by the way, if you're here this morning, you're just visiting, if Blue Water is not your home church, this is not for you. Uh, we're not after your wallet at all. But for those of us that do call Blue Water home three times a year at uh, our anniversary service, at Christmas, and then at Easter, we say, hey, if we can all just kick in a little bit more than we would normally give in our offerings to the Lord, you know what? We can take that little bit more from all of us and do something really kind of cool and amazing with it that we wouldn't be able to do by ourselves. And so uh, I, I should have mentioned that last week. I didn't. So this next week or so, if you would like to be a part of that, um, certainly we're not twisting any arms or anything like that, but here is what this uh, Easter offering is going to be going towards. First of all, um, it's, the money's already spent. <laughs> um, we had some really cool Easter things that we did. We want, we'll tell you about this in the next coming uh, uh, following weeks, but we had an Easter egg hunt, a local neighborhood Easter egg hunt that we're hoping is going to serve as a model for, um, for further egg hunts that we can do in coming years. We're really excited about that. And then the other thing, if you've been uh, around for a little while, you probably remember hearing us talk about the uh, ministry to those in the jail here in town. And so uh, anything that comes in extra, um, we're going to put towards that ministry or th those ministries. And after those have been covered, anything else that comes in, we are going to direct towards uh, our, uh, the no fundraiser that we're, we're trying to raise money to repave the parking lot. Everyone hates it. No one thinks it's cool, but unfortunately it has to be done. And we're almost there. So uh, anything that comes in above and beyond what we need for those ministries will be directed to that. If you would like to be part of that, you can go to bluewaterbaptist.ca in the top right corner there's a button that says give and if you add five cents to your donation so anything that ends with five cents our financial team will know that that's where it's going to be it should be directed to okay hate talking about that on easter so um at my house we love playing board games. I need to see a quick, quick show of hands. Are we alone? Who likes board games? We got family. Okay, all right. We got some board game people in the, in the house this morning. That's fantastic. The problem is at my place, um, we can sometimes come into a little bit of conflict about this. And the reason is because we don't really like the same type of games. Now, myself and, and, and the boys, we tend to like strategic type games. Now, I will have no 
you know, no much more fun than spending eight hours to get two turns of Axes and Allies. Right, Bern, you know what I'm talking about. We love that. I think that's absolutely fantastic. My wife and my daughter especially, they hate that. What they like is word games. Do we have any word game fans in the house? Play Wordle, some of us. Go ahead. Don't be, hold that hand high. Don't be ashamed that you like word games. We got some word game people in the house. That's fantastic. My, life, my, my wife loves word games. I think in part because she beats me so handily every single time. It's not even close. Have you ever thought about how weird words are? God gave us these muscles in our neck, and, and we can vibrate them and make sound. And then, and then there are 72 different muscles in our face and in our neck that we use to inflect these sounds so that when we do that, I'm standing up here buzzing my vocal cords and using these 72 muscles to inflect the sound. And you all know what I'm trying to say. Isn't that weird? Words are weird. We're going to talk a lot about words this morning. In the English language, there are about 800,000 words. It's crazy. Um, almost half of those, about 300,000 of those words, are actually technical words, so there's no reason that anyone outside of those specialties would need to know any of those words. So, so you know, roughly half of those words are technical terms. Um, out of those uh, 800,000 words, about 47,000 words are archaic and, and have, have gone out of use, and, and we don't really know them. The average person is going to use, uh, sorry, the average person has a vocabulary of about 10,000 words, but out of that 10,000, we'll only use 5,000 of them. For people who are wordsmiths, like journalists, those kind of people, English majors, uh, they'll have a vocabulary of about 15,000 and will use 10,000 on a regular basis. The most recent studies out of Duke University show that, that guys... Uh, guys that are here, we will use about 7,000 words today. About 7,000 words in a day. Now, the reason that's so significant is because that's actually down significantly from 10,000 words just a couple of years ago. See, the society has decided that they don't really want to hear from guys. And guys are, we're not really good with words, so most of us are quite okay with that. We just kind of sort of fade into the background, verbally speaking. Uh, ladies, uh, you will use about 20,000 words today. I'm, I'm not saying any, I'm not making any statement about that. I'm just, this is what the statistics show. We will spend about uh, one-fifth of our life speaking or using words, obviously significantly more than that for ladies and significantly less than that for the average guy. And that's funny because uh, when I had little boys, I thought my little boys were chatterboxes. And then I had a little girl. <laughs> And it's funny because at the dinner table, you can tell, like, my daughter, cute as a button, sweet as can be, she's fantastic. You can tell at the dinner table when she hasn't got all her words in. Because even food is not as important as getting those words out. Sometimes my wife and I just look at each other and like, wow, she didn't get her words in today. <laughs> the average sermon, since we're talking about words, comprises about 5,500 words. 
And so most of the words, most of my words for the day, I'm going to use in the next half hour. As a matter of fact, I got two of these. So, so if you want to talk to me uh, Sunday afternoons and I just kind of grunt at you, it's because I'm way over my word count. <laughs> I am not fun to hang out with on Sunday afternoon, that is for sure, because all my words have been used. So if the average sermon is 5,500 words, there is somewhere around 37 million Christian churches in the world right now that means this weekend, let me get this right, there will be about 203,500,000,000 words used by pastors to talk about Easter Sunday. In the Bible, there are 757,439 uh, words. That's interesting because in the creation account, it doesn't say that God waved his arms or did anything like that. When God created, it says that he spoke. He used words. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, see if you know this. Uh, it says that death and life are in the power of the, the tongue. Matthew chapter 12 says that one day we will all give an account for our words, for all our words. And I read that and go, uh-oh. <laughs> Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. Words are interesting things. And not always in a positive way because words can be used to hurt. I know, tell me, the, the, the finish this phrase, I know that you probably know it. Um, Sticks and stones may break by bones, but but words will never hurt me. We, we've heard that before. How dumb is that? Isn't that just the, the stupidest thing? There, listen, I would much rather that people would hit me with a stick or throw a rock at me than some of the hurtful things that I've heard. I'd much rather have someone break my arm than, than some of the times when someone has said something that they didn't think that I would overhear or they didn't think that would get back to me. I'd much rather have a broken arm because guess what? Your broken arm heals. And man, it's hard to get past some of those things that are hurtful. Words can hurt, but words also have the power to motivate. It's about 100 years ago, right around now, actually, that uh, Benito Mussolini and Adolf Hitler used uh, the power of words to motivate their, their uh, uh, citizens to a fervent nationalism that actually brought about, the, uh, in terms of human life, the, the, the most uh, destructive event in the history of the world, World War II. But words can't just motivate to evil, they can also motivate to good. You can probably think of some of the famous speeches that you've heard that motivated people to good. Now it's interesting, in my research, it, <laughs> it turns out that here in Canada, we don't have very much in the way of um, uh, famous speeches. If you know of some famous Canadian speeches that I missed, please let me know, but it seems like in Canada, all of the famous speeches that we know come from either across the pond in the UK or for our neighbors to the south. But I think that probably you will know some famous speeches that I might mention here. See if you can finish this. Um, FDR said that we have nothing to fear except fear itself. fear itself. We know that. 
Dr. King said that he had a dream of a time when his children would grow up in a world where they would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. You know this? Um, Winston Churchill said that, uh, that, that, that the UK would never, never, never surrender. As a matter of fact, there was a, an, an Oscar-winning film called The Darkest Hour a few years ago, and the whole film is actually structured around three speeches that Winston Churchill gave. I would have never thought that speeches could be the, the, the framework by which a, a good movie could be made, and yet there it is. So words can be used to hurt, words can also be used to comfort, uh, sorry, sorry, to motivate, and, and thirdly, words can be used to comfort. Um, Dave Tooker says that, that the greeting card industry is a $7.5 billion a year industry. That's billion with a B. So all of those cards that you see in Walmart or whatever, and we know there's all kinds of cards, there's birthday cards, there's anniversary cards, but arguably, the, the most significant um, category of greeting card is the sympathy card. And Tucker actually said that he went to his local Walmart or wherever it is, and, and, and greeting card companies, these are people who, who use words, like words are their commodity. And he looked through every single greeting card, and, uh, uh, for a sympathy card rather, every single sympathy card, and everyone was some variety of just two ideas. Everyone was either I'm so sorry and or time heals all wounds. And isn't that such a crazy thing to put on a sympathy card? Time heals all wounds? Isn't that a lie? Because when was the last time you went to the doctor and the doctor said, well, the bad news is you've got gangrene in your leg. Uh, the good news is that we don't have to do anything. We're just going to leave it. We're just going to give it some time. Has a doctor ever said that? Or, or I'm, uh, the doctor saying, I'm sorry you have cancer, but, but we're not going to treat it. We're just going to give it some time because time heals all wounds. Of course not. Time doesn't heal all wounds. How ridiculous is that? And listen, I'm the pastor guy. Words are my commodity. I'm the guy, I spend hours every week trying to string together words, words that will encourage, words that will convict, words that will point people to the Lord. And so I, I words are my commodity, and yet, there are way too many times when I just run out of words. And some of you know this because I've sat with some of you after the loss of a loved one or a difficult season and there was just nothing to say. And that's hard. That's hard for me. That's hard for pastors because the truth is that um, pastors have a Messiah complex. <laughs> we all do. We all want to be the one to rush in and say the right words to save the day. And it's hard. Because sometimes there's just no words. Words are powerful. But sometimes there are just no words. We, uh, 
Sometimes words aren't enough, and we know that because even those people who, who had those powerful words that we talked about just a minute ago, guess what is common, guess what is similar about all those people? All those people are now dead. And it doesn't matter how well we can string words together. We are all mortal. Now, normally, my sermon manuscript doesn't get seen by any, this is a little inside baseball. Normally, nobody sees my sermon manuscript ever. You, you hear it on Sunday and nobody else sees it, but on Easter Sunday, I figured that I should get my wife to at least look over it. And so Val looked over it and listen, um, she is smarter than me, she's better looking than me, she's funnier than me, she's better with words than me. She's just like, I married up, okay, you understand? I married way up. And, and she said, this next part that you, you say right here, you should, you should find better words you should find better words to express this. And against all advice, instead of finding flowery words to sort of beat around the bush to say this, can I just say it very, very clearly? Can I just say it plainly? The truth is that we are all going to die. We're all going to die. No matter what words we have, no matter how pretty or flowery we can string our words together, we're all gonna die. And words can't stop that. And when push comes to shove, words aren't enough. God knew that. And so God didn't just give us words. God gave us the final word, the living word, the eternal word. And my 5,500-ish words that I have this morning in my time with you, I'm going to use them all to point to that word from God. And all pastors of Christian churches, if they are doing what they should be doing, are stringing their words together, that 200 trillion words this weekend, all point to that one word from God. No single topic in history has had more words spoken about it than the word of God. No uh, topic has had more words written about it. No uh, uh, topic has had more books printed about it than the word, the eternal word from God. And at the end of the day, when we're all searching for words, what we need to do is remember God's word. And I call this my one-word sermon because we're using all of the words that we have to point to that one word, the only word we'll ever need. And that word from God, when all other words fail, is actually a person. And that person is Jesus. If you have your copy of God's word, would love for you to open it with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John chapter 1. We don't normally do this, but because it's Easter, we'll throw it up on the screen behind. So if you don't have a copy of God's Word or can't find it on your phone quickly, it will be there for you. But in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, this is what the Apostle John writes. He says, In the beginning was the, notice it's a capital W, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, 
All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that's been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Bouncing down to verse 10, he continues and says, He, and speaking of the word, which is Jesus, who is Jesus, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We're going to spend most of the rest of our time this morning walking down quickly through that passage, and then I'm going to tell a story at the end, and then I'm going to call it good, and we're going to go home. Can we, can we get through that? Can we go? Okay. Uh, did you know that uh, the ancient Jewish people, did you know that they... Um, sometimes called God the Word. Now, this is long before what we just read in, in the Gospel of John, but, but uh, see, the ancient Jewish people were so serious about not misusing the name of the Lord, and, and there was one of the commandments, right? Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Okay, you've heard that. So they were so serious about not taking the Lord's name in vain that they would never say his name. They would never say Jehovah, or the better pronunciation is Yahweh, but they would never say that, and, and they would never even write it. And especially in their writings, when it came time to, like, if they were copying the scripture, instead of writing Jehovah or Yahweh, they would, sometimes they would substitute in the uh, the name, just the generic word for God, so like God with a little g, right? Sometimes, instead of writing Jehovah, they would write the name, or sometimes they would write the word. So from ancient Jewish sources, there was this um, tradition of connecting the term the word with God. It was a little bit different for Greek people, because for Greek-speaking people, they were very interested in philosophy. And so they observed the world, and they noticed when they observed the world that, wait a second, it seems like there's order in the world. So the sun is always going to rise um, that way. The sun's always going to rise over here, and it's always going to set over there. And, and, and we can predict that it's going to do that. And, and they decided we can even predict how long days are going to be once you observe long enough. And so there's all this observable order. And they decided since there is order in the universe, there must be some first cause. There must be something that causes all this order. There has to be. And they called that first cause the logos, which is just their word for the word. And so the, uh, the Apostle John, when it came time to write his gospel, the, his account of what happened to Jesus, he draws on these, these various themes, this, this Hebrew tradition of connecting the word with God and the Greek tradition of, of uh, the, 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 the uncaused first cause. 
uh, and, and connects that to, to Jesus. And he says, in the beginning was the word, the word who was and is God. Look at verse four, look what it says. It says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now, since we're talking about words, uh, in English, we have this one tired word, life, if we're talking about life. In Greek, they actually had three words that they could use with varying nuances to talk about our one tired word. So uh, uh, you will recognize these words. One of the words that they had for life was bios, from which we get our English words such as biology. Very good. And bios was about, it was referring to physical life, right? The second word that they could use was the word suke, which we uh, transliterate into English as psyche or psychology. Do you ever wonder why psychology has a random P stuck at the beginning of it? It's because it comes from the Greek word suke. And, and suke was about um, the inner mental life. So not talking about physical life, but, but our inner mental life. So Jesus, when he says, if you want to save your suke, you need to lose it. Interesting. So they had bios, they had suke, but the word that they use far more regularly than anything else is the word zoe. Anybody know uh, anyone named Zoe? Quick show of hands, do we got anybody that knows a Zoe? Guess what? Zoe's name means life in ancient Greek. That's where that word comes from. And Zoe was not specifically about um, physical life, that's bios. It wasn't specifically about our internal life, that was suke. Zoe, and by the way, we get our words like zoology, or I guess even zoo, from Zoe. They used it much more broadly than we use that version in our uh, language. But Zoe has been described as the quality of life that comes from God. So it's not the physical part. It's not the internal part. It's the quality of life that comes from God. So that makes a lot of sense when we see John say, in him was Zoe. In him, in Jesus, was the quality of life that comes from God. We bounce down to verse 10 and uh, see that John says that even though Jesus made the world, the world didn't recognize him. And then interestingly, he's going to take the whole rest of that book. He's going to take the whole rest of his gospel and describe how even though Jesus was and is God and made the world, people didn't recognize him to the point where he died on a cross for our sins. But we know he didn't stay dead. And this is why we celebrate today. Because on the third day, he rose from the dead. And I love what Andy sang earlier, that, that first song. I love that song. With that first breath, Jesus put death to death. I love that. And he did that so that, look at verse 12. Look what verse 12 says. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So listen, the next time you are in a position where you're searching for words, 
Next time you're in a position where you find that words just aren't enough. I hope that you remember this one-word sermon. And more importantly than the sermon, I hope you remember the word from God. The word, the full, the final, the eternal word. The only word that we need is Jesus. I want to wrap our time up together by telling uh, a, a little bit of a story uh, about a guy named Arthur Stace. I'm not sure if you would have heard of Arthur Stace before or not. Uh, he was born in Australia, and he was uh, uh, born in the late 1800s, it, it, born to a, a neglectful, abusive, alcoholic home. And Arthur, uh, even as a child, had to steal bread and, and milk and uh, in order to survive. He habitually rummaged through garbage bins in order to just find enough to get by. He was in and out of jail for involvement in all kinds of things we don't have time to talk about. During the Great Depression, um, got to the point where Arthur was so hungry one day that he heard that the local mission church had uh, uh, tea and snacks for anyone who would come and sit through the sermon. So he decided, I'm so hungry, I'm going to go sit through the sermon. Some of you are in the same boat right now. You know that mama ain't going to feed you unless you sit through the dude's sermon. <laughs> and so he sat through that sermon just in order to get something to eat. That's all he had on his mind. But you know what? God got a hold of him during that sermon. And Arthur Stace realized that he was a sinner, that he had sinned before God. And he repented of that sin. He confessed it to the Lord. And <clears throat> he asked Jesus to forgive him from his sins. And he, he committed his life to following Jesus. And that day, God changed Arthur Stace. Now, one of the things you need to know about Arthur is that he was functionally illiterate, okay? Uh, even to when he died, when he wrote his name, it was only just barely legible, and so he wanted to follow the Lord, and, and one of the things that we will regularly say, oh, if you want to, you know, follow Jesus more, one of the things that you should do is you should read um, the scriptures every day. The problem is Arthur couldn't read the scriptures. He was illiterate. So what he would do is he would get up very, very early in the morning, and he would spend an hour in prayer. And then what he would do is he would take a piece of yellow chalk and he would go out somewhere into the city of Sydney, <clears throat> pardon me, where he felt like the Lord was directing him to go, and he would write a word in yellow chalk somewhere in Sydney. And even though his name was barely legible, it was beautiful how he could write this word. And he did that every day for 35 years. It's estimated that more than half a million times he went out somewhere in the city and with yellow chalk wrote this word. And it kind of became a thing in Sydney. Every morning people would wake up kind of hoping uh, that they would see th that word. And uh, it sort of became a thing and people would like pass the word. Like, did you see that the word was here? And then, oh, this day it's, it's over here. Arthur died in uh, 1967. We'll fast forward, though, to 
the year 2000, uh, New Year's Eve of the year 2000. Some of you weren't even born. Nate, you weren't even born then. Um, a lot of you weren't even born. Some of you were born, but you don't remember. I remember the year 2000. And one of the things that you need to know about New Year's Eve of the year 2000, we all thought we were going to die um, because we thought the computers were all going to blow up. Anybody remember? It, it kind of had to be there. Um, but because uh, it, everything was fine, if you haven't figured that out, 22 years later. Um, <clears throat> everything was, was fine. <clears throat> but on the year 2000, I mean, the new millennium only comes around every once in a while, just every couple years. More than that, obviously. <clears throat> and so all the cities of the world, the great cities especially, made a point to just blow it out as far as their, their New Year's Eve parties went. <clears throat> So every city had monstrous fireworks display, and Sydney was no different. And so Sydney had this amazing fireworks display, and it uh, uh, lit up the night sky, and it went on and on and on. And you know how firework displays go. They don't, they don't just sort of pitter out to nothing, right? Like, th th there's a crescendo at the end, and it gets big, and Sydney was no different, and there was all these lights and bangs, and it was amazing, and then the show came to an end, and all the light from the fireworks fizzled out and the last bang echoed in the distance. And as the smoke and the haze started to dissipate, there was one word that started to glow in the night sky from the Sydney Harbor Bridge. And that one word was the same word that Arthur Stace used to write, exactly how he used to write it, in bright yellow against the dark sky. And that word was eternity. More than half a million times, Arthur Stace tried to remind his fellow, what's the word, Sydneyans? I don't know, whatever it is to describe people from Sydney, to describe his, fe his, his fellows in Sydney that there is the reality of eternity. It looked just like this. That's how, Arthur, that's how illiterate Arthur wrote it. And it's so powerful, this picture against the dark sky, this one word lit up. It's actually still on YouTube. If you want, you can go and, and, and watch the whole thing. It's really powerful. You see, words are powerful. But someday, words are not going to be enough. And just like Arthur Stace was reminding his friends and fellows, we need to remember, too, that one day we will all face eternity. And when we do, no word is going to have any value. And we all put value in, in certain words. Maybe we put our value in the, the word success. Maybe we put our value in the word family. Maybe power. None of those words are going to mean anything. In the face of eternity, the only word that has any value is the word of God the final 
eternal word, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. If you're here this morning, and if you've never made that decision to make Jesus the Lord the first place in your life, if you've never uh, repented of your sin and turned to, to Jesus in faith, I would love to talk to you about that. I would love to talk to you about how you can become a Christian, how you can know the word of God in a personal way so that when, not if, but when you face eternity, you can do so with confidence knowing the word of God. Let's pray together. God, thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you that you gave us when, when, when words wouldn't, count for anything. You didn't just give us words, you gave us the word, the eternal word, the living word, Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you that you died on a cross after, even after living a perfect life completely without sin, you died a sinner's death at the hands of sinful men for sinners like me. Lord God, I pray that if there is anyone within the sound of my voice right now who doesn't know you in a personal way, that this would be the moment where they make the decision that they need this. I pray that they would talk to either, that they would have the courage to talk to either myself or someone that they know who knows you and loves you. We would love this morning for many people to put their faith in you for the first time. We would love this morning for those who, who have um, at some point made a commitment to you in the past, but that's grown cold. We would pray that we would love that there would be a, a warming of their hearts towards you this morning. What better day than on Resurrection Sunday? Lord, we pray that you would help us to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of you, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Word of God. It's to him that we give all glory. Jesus, it's to you that we give all glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Friends, you are loved. Happy Easter.